this is Rachel. Hey, this is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. This week we have with us Aaron Greenwald, a Durham resident who the two of us know best from his recent work, or long-time work, I guess, with Duke Performances, <laughs> where we've both seen a lot of shows around town. I actually forgot to mention before recording, I just saw Lucinda Williams two nights ago. Ah. I know you booked that for Durham coming up, right? She's going to play with Charles Lloyd in the Marvels, which has Greg Leeds in it, Nashville right, guy. Right. Although I don't think Greg is in Nashville anymore. I think he's in Los Angeles. But yeah, um, yeah and a great band. Yeah. Bill Frizzell. Phil Cook was just leaving when you came in. And I remember I told you a few weeks ago, like one of my best memories was how pumped Phil Cook was when I saw him to see Salmon Burke and Dixie Hummingbirds and Mavis Staples and Blind Boys and kind of like a couple shows in a few days that you had in Durham. Yeah. Right. We did, right when I started, we did a festival. It was called Gospel to the Godfather. That right. kind of traced gospel through DJ culture, mm-hmm. through soul. And mostly it was because all the soul musicians that were around when soul was invented were sort of passing away, as is the case with, right. you know, many of the Blind Boys and uh, certainly the Dixie Hummingbirds and then Solomon has also passed. Right. Mm-hmm. So Aaron has an interesting connection to 90s country that neither of us knew about. And I was really kind of taken aback by given his background and I knew him in, in the arts. But Heather Cook, Phil's wife, told me that he worked in Nashville on some music videos in the late 90s, early 2000s. So that's the the big reason why we have him on today. Can you talk a little about how growing up in Northern California and then you went to school in New York, right? I did. And then how you ended up in Nashville working on videos? Yeah, I mean, I'll give it to you quickly, which is that I grew up in Northern California, and if you grew up in Northern California when when I did and was interested in the things that I was interested in, the South was a place of great culture more than anything. Right. Right? The magazine, like the Oxford American and mm-hmm. actually Double Take magazine, which came out of the Center for Documentary Studies here at Duke University, were both Southern publications and real touchstones. What I didn't realize until much later is that Mark Smirnoff, who started Oxford American, mm-hmm. who, who I think actually actually lives near here now in North Carolina. Mark went to school like 10 miles up the road from me in Northern, in Marin County. Oh, wow. So I don't think that this is an uncommon thing. Gotcha. And I remember, so I went to school at Columbia and studied theater. And I remember one summer, like sort of staving up my money and being like, I'm going to go ro- on a road trip. And where did I go on a road trip? But to Nashville and Memphis. Like nice. I flew to Nashville and then, you know, that was not a road trip like most. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't really a road trip. It was like I flew into Nashville and then took a Greyhound bus to Memphis and like sure. it was before Uber or whatever <laughs> and just like walked around those places, you know, and hoped to see Bobby Bland or, you know, I remember going to the Country Music Hall of Fame and like the two things I remember, the Country Music Hall of Fame is terrific now, but it used to really suck. <laughs> um, and the two things I remember actually were, there's a story about B- the song Me and Bobby McGee, which is essentially mm-hmm. like that the record label had called up Chris Christopherson and said like, I-, I need you to write me a song called Me and Bobby McGee. And Chris Christopherson like wrote that song. Right. Uh, I remember that. And then actually at the end, which sort of links up to what we'll talk about is they had a big screen TV and 
and water skis from Alan Jackson's oh, yeah. Chattahoochee video. Oh, nice. And that was like that was like the end of the rock wait, and roll. Wait, hall, you're, so you're saying the country the music hall country of hall of fame. fame is better now than then? That wasn't there when I went. I would love to take those water skis on a. Well, yeah. now I mean, if you went now, no one. If you went now and saw that, no one would know what it was, <laughs> that's, right? That's a shame. But, but I mean, it sort of like fits right into your guys' wheelhouse, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and actually, the fellow who made the Kenny Chesney video, she thinks my tractor sexy, a guy named Martin Kahan, who also made a bunch of like really big hair metal videos, made that Chattahoochee video, huh. which was sort of a defining country music video yeah. and right. certainly like definitional for Alan Jackson mm-hmm. in terms of making him look more fun than he ever was going to look <laughs> <laughs> otherwise. So anyway, I uh, went to Columbia, got a graduate degree there, did a Fulbright in South Africa, and then sort of chickened out on in, in theater and, and then sort of chickened out on making theater in New York and um, thought, well, where can I take these skills? Mm-hmm. What might be a smaller place where there are still some interesting things happening? And Nashville was where I ended up. So when did you end up in, when was that that you landed in Nashville? So like 98 or 99. Okay. Cool. Which was a, a really interesting moment in Nashville because it was sort of like the intersection of... I mean, it was an interesting move, moment in country music because it was like Garth Brooks was almost done. Mm-hmm. Shania Twain had like become a mega star mm-hmm. and sort of moved to L.A. Yeah. The Dixie Chicks were emerging. Mm-hmm. And then if you think about what was going on in Nashville... Otherwise, it was like Gillian Welsh and Lucinda Williams and like Shelby Lynn and Buddy and Julie Miller and Steve Earle was kind of having his moment of revival there. Of course, Steve Earle, you know, was like the second producer on the Car Wheels record. So there was that whole weird stretch of things going on. So that was what was going on in country. And then beyond that, the other super weird thing that was happening like in Nashville, which was pretty sleepy otherwise, was that Harmony Corinne had just made Gummo in Nashville. Harmony Corinne had made Kids and and he's is from Nashville. So Gummo was this like really crazy movie that filmed all the like freaks that hung out in Nashville oh, and was okay. like kind of a cult classic, but it, it used all these people in town. Mm-hmm. And it used they used to steal it all the time from Tower Video. Tower Video still had a, yeah, a VHS yeah, yeah. like checkout right. a point and you the people all the freaks and geeks in town had like would steal it <laughs> so they couldn't keep it in stock. But it's like kind of a kind of describes like the dark side of Nashville at that point uh-huh. in time. Cool. I'd never heard of that. I'll have to Yeah, I didn't know what you were talking that's, about. That's on Amazon or Netflix to stream or something. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. Maybe YouTube. YouTube? Yeah. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how I think part of my surprise and you being involved in the Nashville stuff is I knew you from this like arts background, which growing up around this kind of music where it was just part of my life, I didn't really consider it fitting into the arts mm-hmm. arena where, yeah, something like Gillian Dave, like that seems like it can reach that level. But to me, this is, this doesn't fit that. And I don't know if it's just because I grew up around it. And so, I just didn't really give it that kind of that respect or place or whatever where maybe if I grew up around some other kind of music I would feel the same way about it but you had some thoughts I think you wanted to share on that well so I think part of the reason that Nashville kind of emerged in the way it did around that time is it was like I always felt like Nashville was at least at that point especially when there were a lot of videos churning out of Nashville and country music was becoming like this really coherent commercial brand is that it was kind 
kind of a funhouse mirror of the rest of pop culture. So mm-hmm. you had to have someone like who was like pe- things were constantly getting reflected, especially in commercial country. Things were like if what was happening in New York and and Los Angeles was kind of the R-rated version of the thing. The thing that was happening in Nashville was sort of the PG version. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean Shania Twain's sort of the prototypical example, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like she was sexy but not that sexy. Right. Um, she was enough to ruffle the Nashville feathers, but she showed her midriff, but right. just a little bit. <laughs> and Garth was actually like Garth was doing this kind of arena rock yeah. thing yeah. that was clearly inspired by rougher seeming things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one thing that was active in Nashville, and it's partly because like there was a whole intact industry in Nashville, right? So they were like all the big labels had a Nashville office, right? right. And it was like, and the Nashville office had a lot of decision making authority mm-hmm. in terms of who they were going to sign, who was going to make the videos, who was going to produce the records. So it was really, I, I don't know what it's like now, but it was really an industry town, but in a kind of miniature way, mm-hmm. which is why it was really good for someone who was young to mm-hmm. move there because you could sort of like make two or three friends. and Right. People were super convivial, and they probably had a pretty thin bench. And so they were like, hey, do you want to be a production assistant? Oh, you're pretty good at this. Do you want a production manage? Do you want a production coordinate? Here, we got something you can produce, you know. So you can make the connections and establish yourself pretty easily. Pretty quickly. I mean, I did it in two years, move from being a production assistant to being a producer. I mean, and I left because it was not a good place to be like a 25-year-old. I'm sure it's a terrific place now to be 25, Mm -hmm. but... But it was really sleepy then. Yeah. It was also a moment where, like, CMT was still really thriving and people were watching videos. And It's funny. I was talking to our friend Dan Schramm last night, and I had totally forgotten that there were two music video channels because TNN started out as, like, a country The National Network, right? Yeah. And and I was like, I forgot that that was a thing, too. Do you have any insight onto why or the success of two of those at one time? It's not like you had a second MTV that was able to... VH1, kind of. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think people watched a lot. People in regional markets watched a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. I think that um, for people who watched it, it was like, this is my music. These right. are my people. For people elsewhere, maybe it reminded them of home. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it was a whole... I mean, even if you think about it like more broadly than just being a kind of funhouse mirror, like think about it being like a actually an aesthetic universe that's a funhouse mirror, too, in terms yeah. of how the videos looked and how they were styled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we live in Durham, right? And we... I mean, I feel sort of like, oh, I can get on a plane and be in New York and... Like, we we could drive to the airport now and be in New York tonight, right? Right. People were way more isolated. I mean, Nashville was way more isolated Mm -hmm. then. It felt pretty remote, you know? And so it did feel like you were kind of getting the news from the rest of the world via satellite in a way that, like, the world, the country felt further apart Mm -hmm. in the ways that culture, at least, was assimilated and... Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing about Nashville is that there was, like, an infrastructure to make films and right. to make videos and, like, all that stuff, which doesn't exist, for instance, here in Durham, right. you know? I guess it exists in Charlotte yeah. um, to some extent. Right. But it had been before all that, there was this kind of distributed film infrastructure in the country. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good transition. Do you want to talk about one of the videos that you worked on? 
We have a whole list. Which one would you like to talk about yeah, so first? Aaron sent us a list, and I was shocked by all these superstars on the on the list that he sent us. But we picked out a few. I mean, maybe the Chris Knight one would be the first one to start with, which was maybe my first video. And the Chris Knight video was made by a guy named Roger Pistol. And what a great name. Yeah, with an E at the end. <laughs> with an E at the end. And Roger was, I think... I feel like Roger was a California boy who had gotten like transplanted to Nashville. And he was like, if you wanted really hip and edgy, you Mm -hmm. hired Roger. And Roger was a kind of, I don't give a fuck kind of guy. And he worked, you know, so on videos, the two people who really contribute to the creative direction of a video are the director and then the director of photography, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you know, and sometimes those are the same people Uh, in our world. Steven Soderbergh is sort of like most famous for being his own director photography. But so we made this video at a demolition derby in Southern Kentucky. Okay. So we had to get up like crack of dawn. And so what's funny about this is it's the first video I made. I was a production assistant, right? And I'm going to like dress like one of the regular folks. So I was wearing like blue dickies and like black boots. And I have like a thermal, long thermal shirt on and, you know, my, my sleeves are pushed up. And and first of all, it's like in the middle of summer and it's a, a like a higher than 10 degrees <laughs> and like a higher percent humidity. But then the other thing is like you get out and you're like, there is no way that I could look like someone who goes to a, to a demolition derby in Western Kentucky. <laughs> I mean, they're all I mean, people look pretty rough, right. you know, they're they look like there was it's a guy in like jort, cut off jort. Well, the, you know, I was watching the video and the video doesn't make it look half as weird as it was. <laughs> Um, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, I hesitate to talk about it this way, but it looked, I mean, it was a lot of people who looked not well, like not, like even kids who look not healthy, like more Bart Simpson t-shirts than I've ever seen in my life. You know, a lot of- You're making this sound better and better to me. Well, it was, but the thing that was interesting about it, right, is like Chris Knight was like, he wasn't even a country star. He was like, he was charting Americana then when Americana Mm -hmm. didn't really exist. Yeah. And he was supposed to be like a real deal dude, right? But what I realized, like watching the video in particular was like, we were doing some weird kind of cultural appropriation. Yeah. Even from Nashville, like showing up in Southern Kentucky and like making this video was bizarre. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm from small town, South Carolina, and this, this was my fair. Like this was the Lawrence County Fair was a demolition derby. And so the comment about cultural appropriation is interesting because I'm just like, oh, these are my people that I (laughs) grew up with. And and even now, my favorite thing about the North Carolina State Fair is the demolition derby. We always go, it's the last Sunday of the fair, and that is what we do. And we get there early. I buy a thing of bull peanuts. And we sit there and we we watch and it's all people from like Goldsboro somehow. They have all the cars, but it's I don't know. I feel like that's kind of my culture. So it's the appropriation. Right. And I truly did not fit in, you know. Right. Uh, uh, Northern California. Jewish guy, guy from yeah. Northern California. Like, <laughs> that was not. But the other thing is that, that I became, like, kind of. So this was, like, not associated with any fair. These, this was, like, a, a demolition derby circuit yeah. in Kentucky, which I had never heard of in my life. And I actually traveled up on a couple of occasions after that to watch it because it was so exciting. Yeah. 
And I'm sure what was what we were doing, like in the middle of the, I guess not a ring. What is it? What's what are they? I don't know. The arena. Is the what arena. I yeah. Call it, yeah. Was Tom? It was so unsafe. You know. Oh I yeah. Mean, the, I'm watching the video, and it's like the so the band is in the middle of the pit, and then like the cars are just driving and like running into each other right next to the band. Yeah, and they <laughs> Some were major liability. Issues and they there. were. They were. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, I mean, I think it's kind of a throwaway Chris Knight song. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a it's a good yeah, I song. Never, I had never heard of it before I, you mentioned it. Yeah, I had not heard of the song at all, or Chris Knight. I don't think, but definitely to me, a lot more what you were saying, more the Americana thing. Like this definitely seems like it would fit into like alt country now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very self deprecating, but almost like not even in a humorous way, just like very negative towards himself the whole song which is not uncommon in Americana all country these right. days but I was kind of surprised to see so many people had covered this later on and some of them from kind of different camps so John Anderson who was an earlier country star then Blake Shelton who was a later country star and then I saw on YouTube last night that Tyler Childers who I'm a huge Tyler Childers fan covered it on WB Walker's old soul radio show and he seemed kind of to fit that vibe because he's from I think Kentucky also like rural Kentucky and I know Chris Knight grew up in rural Kentucky and he recorded his demos and trailer apparently and he worked as like a mine inspector or something along those lines so he had like the blue collar bone of right right exactly but he said uh, I read in an interview from 2003 in Lone Star Music Magazine that his songs were sticking out or would probably stick out like a sore thumb at country radio he said he remembers hearing the song back to back with a mainstream country artist and he was embarrassed because it sounded like something that crawled out from under a rock, <laughs> which which I thought was funny because it's not, I mean, it's not the catchiest song. I'm not surprised it didn't land on radio really well, but as far as like a songwriter, he was at least trying to tell his story, it sounded like, on there, maybe not in the most accessible way. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of admiration for him. He's probably someone I'd still go and see in concert. And also, it's probably the only video I know of or, or maybe even piece of, like, visual culture that I'm aware of that captures Demolition Derby, mm-hmm. which is a pretty incredible thing, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, kind of insane and kind of wonderful. I mean, wonderful because it's so yeah, insane yeah. and, and you know, specific. To, I mean, it's it's way different than guys racing cars, right. you know? I mean, I think most of us, you know, we ding our car and we're like, oh, my God, what do we do? You know, like, how do we get this fixed? <laughs> right. Am I going to live with? And these guys are, it's just a different, describes a kind of different facility with Machines, yeah. I think most of us yeah. have. I've introduced quite a few people to Demolition Derby through the North Carolina State Fair, and everybody is like, how have I never done this before? <laughs> this is so great, and it's resulted in quite a few people being like, I want to enter a car in next year. <laughs> well, do we want to listen to a little bit of the song? Go for it. Why do I do the things I do? Was I born this way in my self-made I shoot the lights and I curse the dark I need your love but I break your heart And I know the words that'll bring you back But I don't say nothing as I watch you back I had to work to be the jerk I've come to be It ain't easy being me 
All right, so one thing that I had kind of forgotten about till I was looking at Chris Knight in the video is he didn't even get his deal until his late 30s, I think, which is not super typical of the Nashville artists in the time. Again, wanting to have a good face for video and that sort of thing. So I kind of thought a little bit about a connection with like someone like Sturgill Simpson who didn't get to start kind of doing his thing with music until way later in his life and maybe didn't bend as much to the commercial aspects of Nashville and Aaron and I were coming as we watched the video that had something over 2 million views right now for a song that was released as his I think his first single but never charted didn't really do a whole lot and that was impressive to me in that you know I, I didn't know he had that much of a following but maybe now I just love Demolition Derby <laughs> so that's very <laughs> true but I think you know he's one of those guys that he didn't do it the Nashville way it seems and so he was able to kind of find his audience elsewhere it seems like mm-hmm. although it was uh, I had the notes that was co-written with Craig Wiseman who's written with or for just about everyone in Nashville who's mm-hmm. anyone he just has a laundry list of writing credits yeah my, my recollection was that they thought that this was sort of a moment for Chris, you know. Mm. I think what I recall, this is more than 20 years ago now, but I recall them sort of being like, well, he's number one Americana right now. Right. So they maybe felt like making this video was something that could mm-hmm. break him or he could get more popularity. Right. Anyway, it was interesting mostly for, you know, it was my kind of, I'm not home anymore kind of moment. This is not Northern California. This is not Marin County. Yeah, this is something really different and weird. So one of the other videos that you worked on that you mentioned to us is Kenny Chesney's She Thinks My Tractor Sexy. and Definitely presu- probably made you feel at home. Yeah, <laughs> presumably that was also shot in small town, rural something something. So that was like right at the end of my time in Nashville. And it was made by a guy named Martin Cahan, who I was saying earlier is most famous in Nashville circles for making uh, Alan Jackson's Chattahoochee. Mm-hmm. But Martin, I think, had been there at the early... You guys will have to look this up. Had been there kind of at the early days of MTV and had made a lot of, like, uh, hair rock videos. And uh, there are a couple interesting things about this. So I was the producer, production manager of this video. And so Kenny was just getting big then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Kenny had made a bunch of videos in the Caribbean prior to this. So Kenny was um, from, is he from Tennessee? He was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. And I think his following was kind of a frat boy uh, <laughs> yeah. college following in Knoxville. That makes sense. But, and you know, he has always had a reputation for being incredibly hardworking, mm-hmm. right? And being a kind of underdog, right? He's not a super handsome guy. Right. He's kind of, you know, he's plucky. It's a good word. So Kenny had made these videos with his first wife in the Caribbean. I think they'd made two videos uh, um, with this guy, Martin Cahan, who had, you know, making a video in the Caribbean. Because I I think I got called in on this to budget it out. Making a video in the Caribbean is like real. If you do it like in an above 
bored way is really expensive, right? right? right. But if you do it like gorilla style, it's not that expensive. <laughs> like if you just fly in some makeup people and right. you like, you know. So his wife had been the girl in mm-hmm. the first two videos and Kenny had been really self-conscious about that, about people being like, oh, who's that hot girl in the video <laughs> and it, it being his wife. And so I don't know if they'd split at this po- at the point that he put out, she thinks my tractor's mm-hmm. sexy, but it definitely was the end. But So I'd been involved in a couple of Kenny Chesney projects and this was the one where I had the most sort of senior role. So I actually scouted this video, this location for this video. And I just drove out of Nashville <laughs> and looked for, I think we wanted a place where we could, you know, have had big fields where we could drive a tractor. It didn't really matter what kind of crop was there. I mean, I've just knocked on people's doors who had, <laughs> who had barns. And this is of course a tobacco barn, right? right. Cause it's got, yeah. cause it's letting light in, right? which I don't think is super common around Nashville. That's definitely a North Carolina right, thing. Right, right. So this was definitely a tobacco barn in Nashville. Huh. And, you know, I think we probably rented the location for like a couple thousand bucks, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the other thing was that no one really knew who Kenny Chesney was. Right. right? So you couldn't like be like, right. hey, we're making a video with Alan Jackson here. Right. And people would have been like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Like, we'll let you use this. <laughs> yeah, so they were, I mean, they were fine. And I have to imagine it was their John Deere tractor too. Because I don't think <laughs> there was weird. like a deal with John Deere. But there's a couple funny stories stories about this. So when we were, like, we had dinner a couple days before me, the producer, Martin, the director, and Kenny. And I remember, like, the one kind of fancy restaurant at that point in Nashville was Ruth Chris's Steakhouse, (laughs) which was, like, on the bottom level of whatever the fancy hotel was there at the time. Um, I'm forgetting what it was. But I remember Kenny coming in with a cowboy hat on, jeans, cowboy boots, and a pink sweater vest with nothing underneath. <laughs> wow. And V-neck, V-neck. <laughs> and, you know, tan. It doesn't sound comfortable. Tan, like, like well, it sounds chilly. <laughs> and being like, this is quite a guy, you know? I mean, he already had some chutzpah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I read some interview. I was looking for a little bit of background on this song. And somewhere in the interview, it was talking about this music video and kind of the suggestive dancing and stuff. And he was talking about how he's very, like, body conscious and, like, works out a lot but not very confident like you know being on stage and showing off his body and all that stuff for him to roll in with a v-neck sweater vest with nothing underneath underneath. (laughs) maybe he hadn't reached that point of self-consciousness but we made this video and like it was a it's so straight down the middle right (laughs) when you do these things it's like everybody's like uh, this woman right who's like the model in it like she just booked a coca-cola commercial you know like she's gonna be the you know like Nashville was always like trying to you couldn't get the real thing so you're always trying to get like someone's gonna be huge you know big thing (laughs) and she was super I mean you know looking back at the video you realize like okay here's this woman who's like you know she wasn't a professional dancer she wasn't like she's a model you mm-hmm. know like she had to make that video work because right. Kenny Chesney wasn't really gonna make that <laughs> I mean Kenny was gonna and she and she actually does yeah, you know yeah. and she's she was super flirtatious mm-hmm. I mean again there's like a kind of weird ethics around the thing yeah, you know yeah. like I mean she makes the video fun the video would not be any fun <laughs> if not for her if not for her and yeah. she was I remember her being super game mm-hmm. and you know it has some of the greatest, like most straight ahead lyrics you could ever right, imagine right. in a country music video. Yeah. Do you so, want to listen to a sample? Yeah, sure. Well, she ain't in the cars or 
It's one of those videos that kind of gets more hot at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely escalates. Yeah, as he's like pouring water on her shirt or whatever. Right, right. which yeah. is kind of funny because it's not how you would like normally. Yeah, out of out of his cowboy hat, right? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty. I mean, you know, it was like I said, the guy who made it was like had literally grown up making videos. Yeah, you know, and he was probably in his forties or or fifties at this at this point. Um, and Kenny Chesney was... I mean, he became a huge star mm-hmm. after this. And I right. feel like this is a video that kind of catapulted him to stardom in a funny way. So how much... Not to disregard the work you guys did on this, but how much did you have to like plan out the things that were happening in this video? Because I feel like for people that are listening to this and haven't watched the video... The video is almost exactly what you would envision it to be. It's like, him driving a tractor. Driving a tractor with a girl dancing around him on and around the tractor. And then in, in the barn. I mean, each video was made in a different sort of way. So the other, the way that videos are pitched or were pitched at the time was like literally the director would give... They, they would say, we've got $60,000 for this video. We've got $75,000 for this video. we got $80,000 for this right. video, right? And... The director would then write like a page and a half treatment. This is what's going to happen in this video. Mm And he or she would have a reel of stuff, and that would be it. You know, yeah. that would, be, and then they would like wire over the money. You know, and like you had to turn over the video in three weeks or whatever. Right. So some people were more um, meticulous. Tommy Oliphant, who made the Dixie Chicks videos, was a pretty meticulous mm-hmm. filmmaker. Roger Pistol, obviously, he was like, I'm going to go out there and sort of shoot a documentary and then make this performance stuff happen. I think Martin, who made this video, was like, he probably felt like he could make a video like this in his sleep. Yeah. So, and there was a lot, because it was a video, there was a lot of effort. There was not so much effort spent on story generally, and a lot of effort spent on styling the artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially if this was one of, if the plan was for this to be maybe Kenny Chesney's like breakout video, it would be even more important to highlight him. Yeah, and I wonder if it was. I mean, I think they were really surprised that Kenny Chesney was charting for them. Yeah. That he was, well, and this was the third song, right? The th- this is the third yeah. single from that Everywhere We yeah. Go And I think album. the other two were shot in the Caribbean. Okay. Yeah, they, they were, and they both hit number one, I believe, which this one didn't, which in my head, I don't remember the other ones as well. Uh, you Had Me From Hello and How Forever Feels were the other two, which I was listening to less country in the late 90s on the radio, but... I knew this song for whatever reason. I did not know those other two. I mean, maybe. it borders on being a joke song, right? Yeah. So well, that's what it's, so it's the, kind of like Achy Breaky Heart. Like Achy Breaky Heart was one of those that is like so over the top and funny songs that it crossed over. Just I'm, I'm well, sure that there was like an SNL skit about this just because of how over the top well, it is. To me, it seems like they saw like a T-shirt slogan or they thought of a T-shirt <laughs> slogan. And they're like, okay, let's put words around that. She thinks my tractor's sexy that's that can sell t-shirts at state fairs and stuff 
let's put some other words around it. Say basically the same thing a bunch of ways, and that's the song. And so, like, when you're talking about making stuff in your sleep, like, the song itself is that way, which was interesting when I looked up the co-writers, because Paul Overstreet, who co-wrote this along with Forever and Ever Amen and Deeper in the Holler by Randy Travis, Mm -hmm. and When You Say Nothing at All, all three of those he co-wrote with Durham's Don Schlitz, and so they were kind of a a writing team. He co-wrote this with Jim Collins, who later another Tractor song, Big Green Tractor, was one of his. So so Kenny wasn't a writer on this song. Kenny was not a writer on the song. That's really surprising to me, because it feels like it... I mean, it's also a, a song that fits the guy who's singing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> which, which is good, a good call for that. But then when I looked up a video that had kind of the story behind the song, I was really happy to find out that it basically was as simple as it sounded. So Jim Collins was talking about how they were co-writing with the third songwriter who doesn't mention. And Paul was telling a story about his tractor breaking down, having to go to the parts store. And Paul's wife asked to ride with him and was like, all kissing on his neck and stuff the whole way to the John Deere store. And so Jim just kind of offhand jokes like she must have thought your tractor was sexy and then they're like that's the song but the third writer was like no we need to write a serious song about like your dad dying and you know whatever kind of tragedy but then when he left they wrote the song they're like whatever this is fine nothing will ever happen to it no one's ever going to cut this and then boom here it is you know one of Kenny Chesney's well I, I want to share a story about a time that a tractor was not sexy <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever not long after I was born my parents decided to buy an old farmhouse and a bunch of property in the middle of nowhere rural South Carolina and because both of my parents were public school teachers and therefore broke as hell they had to save up a lot of money to buy my mom a new car and my mom gave my dad the money to go into town to buy a car and he came back with a John Deere tractor. So my my mom did not think that that tractor was sexy. Ooh. And uh, So, so yeah. was she just driving the tractor instead of a car for a while? I, that... I don't know how she got to school uh, but <laughs> we had pictures of me on that tractor as a kid and so yeah, the beginning of the end of that marriage possibly. <laughs> I mean, the, the other great Nashville tractor story is George Jones and Tammy Wynette, right? Yeah. Which is, of course, a Tammy like hid George's keys and so he drove the tractor (laughs) to the liquor store. Right. So I had two funny stories. I had uh, two interesting stories around George Jones and Tammy Wynette. So when I was living in Nashville, Tammy Wynette died. And I think like at the time, like Time Life or whatever would do, you know, who died this year. Right. So we went to Tammy Wynette's house to film that. And George Ritchie, who was her husband at the time, had like left the place like a shrine to Tammy. And I remember like seeing a a photo of Elton John. It said like from the Queen of England to the Queen of Country. Oh, wow. And then we were actually supposed to film a George Jones video separately, right? And George got in a car accident on the way to the video. And I think that was sort of the beginning of the end. Right, right. Well, certainly he didn't make another video. He, had, he didn't make that video. He didn't make that right, video, right. yeah. But I always think about that. Wow. Him driving the, the, tractor the tractor to, to, to the liquor store. store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when all else fails. That's a great country song right there. Oh, the, the lawnmower is not uncommon no. either once you get your license revoked. I mean, the other story I heard about George Jones is that he was obsessive about mowing his lawn, and he mm. would mow the lawn with the riding mower every day. Wow. Wow. I mean, George Jones is a very particular character. Right. I imagine he had a pretty sizable lawn, too, that must have taken up a big chunk of his day. Yeah, well, you think he was one of those guys that didn't have a lot going on, you know, like when he wasn't touring. Right, when he wasn't touring, yeah. He just didn't, like, no one ever got the sense that George Jones was an active mind, you right, know? Right, right. Right. <laughs> he wasn't down at the National Public Library. 
but a terrific singer. Absolutely. Well, in terms of videos, I think the next one we were going to talk about is about as far removed in that era from Kenny Chesney's She Thinks My Tractor Sexy, uh, Faith Hill's This Kiss, which has a lot more going on production-wise, at least from someone who doesn't know music videos, how they work behind the scenes. <laughs> There's a lot of CGI and all that. She's kind of doing the pre Miley Cyrus wrecking ball thing, riding a, a peach or a nectarine or something on there. Yeah. So uh, you worked on that one as well? I worked on the post-production of it. So that was made by a guy named Stephen Goldman, who sort of made his name with this video, but prior to that, doing Shania Twain videos. Mm -hmm. Stephen was also Canadian, and actually he'd gotten to Nashville making Fred Eaglesmith videos. Do you guys know the singer-songwriter Fred Eaglesmith? And so he made some really great Fred Eaglesmith videos, and Stephen, maybe more than anyone, had the sort of prototypical Nashville aesthetic, which was Mm -hmm. like hollywood life. And yeah, this is all filmed on in front of green screens. It's like super effervescent, Mm -hmm. playful. Mm -hmm. Faith Hill was totally a pro. You know, she was like nice, but as you might imagine, incredibly hardworking. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is one that they spent a lot of money on. I think everybody heard the song and they were like, well, that's going to be Faith Hill's hit. Well, and it it turned out to not only be a huge country hit, but a huge crossover hit, which kind of makes sense that you would put a little bit more effort into a music video whenever it can end up everywhere. Yeah, and play down some of the Nashville parts of it, too, Mm -hmm. for sure, in the video. It's something that they could play on VH1 or whatever and get away with pretty easily. Yeah, and this might have had, you know, six or eight times the budget that the Kenny Chesney video did. Yeah. In some ways, there's not much to say about it. It's sort of like all right there. Right. She was super lovely. Mm-hmm. She had a terrific song. The video was a good idea, well executed. You know, it just was mm-hmm. a, it was like a winner all the way around. You know, I mean, I think that the kind of sort of slight, like most people who were in Nashville making country music videos wanted to make feature films. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, nobody was happy to be making country music videos, right? right? Like, that was not... <laughs> that wasn't the goal. That wasn't the goal in most cases. And I think this guy, Stephen Goldman, I think he died from cancer in his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, and he was like a big baby, you mm-hmm. know? But in many ways, Stephen Goldman was like the perfect person to be making country music videos like in the late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. Right. And yeah. like... That was his aesthetic vocabulary. Like to expect him to like have a second act doing something else mm-hmm. was expected right, too right, much. Right, right. You know. Um, well, and speaking of babies, I read that during the shoot she was pregnant with her second child, and so this is all Wikipedia research. So right. you know, may not be legit, uh, right? But <laughs> but uh, that she had tried on her outfits, her costumes, whatever, like a few days before. Got to shoot, nothing fit anymore. And so they just kind of like alter it on the spot and roll with it. And then in a follow-up to that, I read that her next music video, she had given birth to her daughter. And so there's a lot of close-ups on Faith in that video, just kind of face or shoulders and up. Uh-huh. And she was holding her daughter in her lap for much of that video. That's what the story said. And so again, just kind of rolled with it. All right, this is the shot we're going to get. Keep the baby out of it while she's mm-hmm. holding the baby in her lap doing this music video. And I was just like, like you said, I was like, damn, what a pro. Like, she just yeah. rolled with it. I mean, I think that that was the the thing for women in, in Nashville at that time is that they had to be really 
tough, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, as I was saying, like, because Garth Brooks had been such a huge star, they were constantly trying to roll out the next male country star, right? right. And it was like, like a cheap country music video cost forty or $50,000, right? I remember doing like five or six. It's like, who the fuck? Who's this guy? Right, you know? right. Who, who's that guy? And they were like, you know, they had decent kind of baritone voices yeah, yeah. and they were singing decent songs and it was like what's the equation here right you now but there was much less emphasis on the the women it was mm-hmm. a much harder business for women i mean the other one who was like incredibly tough and a pro who i worked with on a bunch of different videos was martina mcbride mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, and then there were people who were, like, so much larger than life, like Reba. I remember, right. like, really early on in my time at Nashville, like, being a production vi- assistant on a video and Reba McIntyre walking up and saying, Hi, I'm Reba. What's your name? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> exactly what you expect. Uh, or Dolly Parton, doing a video with Dolly Parton at Robert's Western Wear and Dolly giving me a hug and me being like, Oh, it's been so fun to work with you. And you're saying, Hush, honey, don't it feel good to be this close? <laughs> um... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, they were, I mean, in retrospect, I did a bunch of work with Jody Messina. Like, mm-hmm. the women had to work really hard and be mm-hmm. really real pros. I mean, I can only guess at the kind of sexual harassment yeah. that was present there. Yeah. yeah. And we just did an episode about Shania Twain. And, and this song lost two awards, two Grammys to Shania, also to You're Still the One that same year. But we talked a good bit about how early on her career, she was just kind of having to go on what the label said, what all the management said, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it makes sense that they maybe didn't have as much latitude or feel as comfortable to say, like, no, this is how I want things to go. They had to get more used to being being the pro who just goes on, does things how it's expected of them and all that. And, you know, she mentioned in her book several times where men, songwriters, you know, management folks, whatever, would kind of come onto her and just assume that she was going to go along with it for the good of her career. I think that that was pretty prevalent mm-hmm. in Nashville at the time. Chet Atkins was famous for being inappropriate and mm-hmm. expecting favors of women. And mm-hmm. I think that went on for a, a long time. And even me at my level, like, which was pretty low, heard whispers about it around Yet most of these female stars, mm-hmm. you know, that they were being propositioned and either they were going along with it or right. not going along with it. I think that was a, oftentimes a real expectation if you wanted to be given the song, the right song mm-hmm. or the being produced or put out by the right label. I, I think there was a lot of that going mm-hmm. on. Do you want to play a little bit of the song? Yeah. All I wanted was a white night with a good heart, soft touch, fast horse. Ride me off into the sunset, baby, I'm forever yours. So one thing we forgot to give a shout out to the songwriters of this one who are Belt Nielsen Chapman, Robin Lerner, and Annie Roboff. They worked centrifugal motion into the chorus of the song, <laughs> which I think is really damn impressive to have this big of a hit and centrifugal motion is just kind of slipped right in there. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the stories I read about this song is Robin and Annie were, were writing this and basically got the bulk of it, the riff, the melody, and all that pretty much done. Belt Nielsen Chapman came in and they kind of finished up the lyrics and all that. And their demo that they cut first was to do it as an R&B song, which mm-hmm. I'm just having a really hard time wrapping my head around what that would sound like after hearing it this way so much. And then for about a year, it sat there and nothing happened to it. And the publisher said, you know, you guys should do a country demo of that. And then Faith cut it. And in the story, she says there, there were a whole lot more syllables on the country radio, which, <laughs> <laughs> especially in light of that centrifugal motion centrifugal line motion. makes me think of that. So, funny. yeah. But, you know, that I mean, it does speak to the kind of... I mean, obviously, they were trying to sell a song, and they hit a home run with this. But, right. I mean, there were a lot of goofballs writing songs in, <laughs> yeah. in Nashville. I mean, it yeah. was one of... So, I worked for a little bit for the Country Music Songwriters Association or something like that. And I think it was like, you know, there were a lot of employed songwriters in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, like there were a lot of people who were making their living writing songs. Just writing songs, yeah. Well, and it's been interesting, like, focusing on this period of music, how often we just see the same names over and over and over again. Right. And uh, we were talking about, who was it that said that he lived in the parentheses? Oh, yeah, it was Don Schlitz, the songwriter yeah. from, from Durham. Yeah, right. saying that he lived in the parentheses, like nobody knows who he is by name because he's quote just the songwriter yeah but then in that story with the Jim Collins doing the interview about she thinks my tractor's sexy he was talking about how it's kind of a throwaway song whatever and he was like but I bought a really nice house because of that <laughs> you know so that kind of how he concluded that all right. Well, we've awesome. got one more some yeah. bonus content today with a fourth song. <laughs> yeah, you were whenever you were saying you told us this story earlier, and then you were talking about how Nashville was the PG version of the rest of the stuff, and this is not really a PG story about the Sammy Kershaw and Laurie Morgan song. Maybe not tonight. We have explicit content checked on this podcast. Mom, so. Moms, you should mute it now. <laughs> well, the thing I remember most about this song is that it was clear that, in my mind, a totally forgettable song and a yeah. totally forgettable video. It's like the most cliched, dialed-in video mm-hmm. you could ever imagine, right? It's like, it's a breakup song or a kind of a breakup song. And I remember we had to construct a pool of water, which is like, you know, not that fun a thing to to do in a studio and then we like you know someone had to build a a house with a porch that they like jig-jagged into and then Sammy's on one side singing and Lori's on another side and I think that at the time both Sammy and Lori were married to other people Mm mm-hmm and what I remember about the video was that they had like one trailer and they spent a lot of time together in their trailer. <laughs> and I remember hearing that Sammy's nickname was Tripod because he was so well endowed, apparently. I will say to like, he was not a tall man, right? right. So it was not, I mean, it was a... <laughs> he was a thing. It was, it was a, you know, but, um, you know, and Lori Morgan had lived a very full life. Uh, married six times. Married six times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think throughout her career, she had to be beautiful and sexy, mm-hmm. not just on television, but in live performance right. settings for years and years and years, which it must be challenging. Yeah. 
And anyway, so they, I mean, it's a corny video, but clearly they were hooking up like the whole time, <laughs> which takes a lot of chutzpah. Like you've yeah. got 40 people around working. On the set, they know what's going on. And then they got married. I don't think they yeah. were married for that long. And Spencer, you were saying that like they both had records coming out at the time and this was on both the records. Right. So it was on, it was a title track from Sammy Kershaw's album that year. And Lori put out an album called My Heart that same year. And apparently both labels pushed it as well, but just didn't really do a whole lot, which isn't surprising because it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a boring song, in yeah. my opinion. It, it only reached 17 on the Billboard country singles and didn't do very well in Canada either. Apparently. Which one of the songwriters on there was Canadian, Dan Hill. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote, wrote a lot of stuff for himself. But then Keith Stiegel, who wrote on also, did I Do Cherish You, speaking of R&B nice. flavored songs. And also Don't Write the Jukebox. So maybe he, you know, peaked with those couple and then just, you know, kind of rode, <laughs> rode on that fame for a while with songs like this that maybe not tonight, maybe not all that good. I always felt like these two artists were probably like like this was a like kind of a last commercial mm-hmm. career gas yeah. for them. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me to fit either of their own sounds. It seems like they were just pigeonholing those two into yeah. you know Sammy Kershaw's from Louisiana and a lot of his songs kind of had that feel to it occasion thing. yeah kind of occasion feel to it Fidelia is one of my favorites of his and I think Lori Morgan's from Nashville but her stuff was pretty country and then this is kind of like a 80s album rock duet vibe to me like a little bit of like a Bob Seger kind of feel or something like that maybe yeah I mean it'd be interesting to like look at the country charts and track them against the pop charts at the right. time and just sort of see like whether it was three months later that something similar was coming out like right. I, like clearly they were watching one another mm-hmm. I always felt like in Nashville at the label offices there was like you know the red phone from New York or Los <laughs> Angeles that was like red it was like you've delivered this you haven't delivered that like it definitely was a um, yeah a kind of outpost and it was you know it did very very well for a, a long long time mm-hmm. as, a, as a kind of almost an autonomous business yeah. you know it was a fascinating time to be there yeah one other memory I, I don't know if this exists anymore but I remember in Centennial Park which I lived above just trying to give you kind of a picture of Nashville at the time people would bring the most remarkable tricked out cruisers African Americans right Mm -hmm. and they would just kind of idle them around Centennial Park which is like a very odd place because there's like a replica of the Parthenon in the middle of Centennial Park and this was like a, a weekend, like every weekend activity, like these amazing cars. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was just a kind of weird, it was a very specific place at a kind of a weird time. Yeah. I suspect it has much less flavor now. Mm-hmm. It's probably much more like the rest of the country. Yeah. Well, I can imagine there's many places you'd see that surrounding the Parthenon or the fake Parthenon. <laughs> <laughs> only in Nashville in the late 90s probably was, yeah. was that scene set well, up. I guess... I- at that point in time, I feel like now Nashville, I went there a few years ago, and it very much has a, a touristy feel. I guess it didn't really feel that way in the late 90s. So it's interesting. Like I, So I had a friend who ran a performing arts center there mm-hmm. called Oz, which was a kind of high arty, right? And like they could never get rooms because it had become the bridal shower capital of the United yeah. States. Well, that's apparently now it's like the Bachelorette. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Not yeah. bridal um, yeah, yeah, party yeah, yeah. hub. Only the 
the downtown right. sort of dueling piano bars mm-hmm. portion of Nashville Broadway. was touristy. It was yeah. the town was not touristy at all. In fact, the town was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a really curious place that was really distant from a lot of the the rest of yeah. the country, yeah. but still sort of fashioned itself as slightly cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate you being on with us today. Yeah, this is great hearing stories. all these inside um, inside <laughs> stories. Behind the and scenes. We hope you don't end up going back to Nashville yeah, or somewhere, somewhere else. Nashville. Uh, <laughs> because we love having you in Durham and um, you know all the stuff you've done for Durham in the past, what, 12-ish years? 12, 15, 12, about 15 years. 15 yeah. years. Um, so we hope for our sake, selfishly, that you'll stick around for Durham and to someday maybe be back on here with more stories as you remember. Them, but uh, <laughs> yeah, please. Anytime something yeah, just hits start, you, just start jotting them down. But yeah, anything you have come up other than you, you need someone on here listening of our main listeners to find something cool for you to work on, right? Something to hire you for? Yeah, just trying to figure out what's next after having a, left a job of about 12 years. Yeah. Well, but between you and our recent guest, Allison Hussey, who is moving to Brooklyn, maybe we can become like the new LinkedIn for, right. <laughs> for music. Very specific audience. <laughs> for the country. For the for country. The country. So, People yeah. have tangential connections to <laughs> country music. Yeah. Well, very cool. Thanks so much, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. And we'll be back next week. Y'all have a good one. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. You were my best friend, my one and only love. You're still the only one. Just as I'm leaving you, you walk in the room. I see the flicker.